Well, good morning. How is everybody today? Good. All right. Good. Glad that you're here. If you're in Kidmo, you can head on out. If you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is an environment where uh, they have their own teaching, small groups and games and fun stuff they do. You're welcome to walk back there and see where they're headed. Um, I'm glad you're with us. It is Memorial Day weekend, so I know we've got lots of guests today. We've got some folks traveling and out of town, um, but we're glad that you chose to be with us. If you're our guest, um, I hope that you will pick up a guest bag on your way out, and those are those little brown bags that are on the tables out in the lobby, Um, but I am glad that you're here. Do y'all have big plans for Memorial Day? Nobody in here does? Allison's getting married, so that's, uh, that's one big thing. Any, what else? Nobody else has anything big planned? All right. Well, um, we do want to remember that in Memorial Day, uh, it is a time for us to remember those who have given their lives and uh, recognize that they have suffered so that we did not have to. And so we want to remember those. I know you've probably got family members and friends that fall into that category, as I do as well. So uh, I am glad that you're with us. Uh, we've got a couple more weeks in messy love. So let me just, if this is your first time with us, let me give you just an overview of where we've come from, where we're going, and then I'm going to let you know what we're doing this summer. Uh, but we've been coming through a series all about love and uh, that not only has God described himself personally as the embodiment of love, he has said that when everything else is gone, when all is, is, is not anymore, when all of creation passes away after Jesus has returned, there's only one thing that's going to remain, and that is love. And so that is, it is crucial that you and I, if we're going to follow Christ, we understand what does it look like to love others. Now, the problem with that, and that we've discussed for several weeks now, is that everyone has a different definition of love, right? My understanding of my parents loving me when I was a child is that they would let me do whatever I wanted. I thought that was loving. Now I'm a parent. I don't necessarily see it that way. And quite honestly, even before then, as I got more freedom, as I grew, I began to realize, I know I get why my parents had boundaries. Whenever we look at love, many in the in our culture, in our society, describe love is the absolute permission to do anything you want. The problem is, is that when there are no boundaries about how we interact with each other, what is very freeing for one is enslaving for another. And so we have to understand, well, what does it really look like to love? And so we spent several weeks in a series called For the Love, in which we looked at God's call to us to demonstrate who He was in the way that we love people. And then we began looking at some individual instances. Well, what does it really look like to love people? And what about difficult people? And, and so for the last couple of weeks, three weeks, we've been talking about messy love. And that is when we are called to love someone, but yet it's not easy. And the reality is, is that it's easy to love people to, that love us. It's easy to love someone who thinks well of us and who encourages us and says good things about us. It's easy to love that person because they're very lovable. But what about those people that don't always return that flattery or that appreciation or that encouragement? What about those people that actually drain the life out of you? So we've talked about a few family relationships. Today I want to talk to you about a group of people that is probably who you spend most of your time with, but you don't think of them in this way. And those are the people that you work with. 
Now, not everyone in this room may have a job. Some of you are about to enter into the workforce. Some of you have just started working. Some of you daydream every day about the day that you are going to stop working. Amen? Amen. Some of you have just started and you're already daydreaming about that, and that's not a good thing. You've got a ways to go unless you discover something incredible here right off the bat. I wanted to show you this video. We've already talked about loving our enemies, but I wanted to show you this video because one of the things that he opens with that I think is crucial for us, if we're going to be the church that is real, I don't mean that we just come to church and we do our church thing and you know, we then go home and then we, we live completely different lives. But if, if this thing that we talk about is going to be real within our hearts, it's going to be real within our lives, and we are actually going to follow Christ, which the call to salvation is not the call to escape hell. The call of salvation is the call to follow Christ. And in all of Scripture, when we follow Christ, that means we begin to mimic Him. So if we're going to follow Christ and we're going to be disciples of Christ, then what that literally means is you should eventually look more and more like Him. You should live like Him, walk like Him, talk like Him, Maybe not do all the things that he did. He was, you know, God in human form. But what he says will be important to us, will become important to us. What he says will be the priority of your lives, will become the priority of your lives. And some of his teachings are pretty radical, so radical that we kind of gloss over them. Because we think, well, you know, that was good idea, and that's fine for Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. Well, As we understand following Him, that means that we begin to look at our lives the way that He looked at His. Not as the sacrifice for sin, but as helping the world to gain freedom and to know God. So as we look at that, this group of people that you're going to spend most of your time with, in an average day, if you're a full-time employee, you're going to spend eight of your, you know, probably waking maybe 16 hours with these same people that you work with. Now, some of you may love your coworkers. How many of you have some great coworkers? Yeah? Yeah? Some? Okay. We don't want to hear about the ones that aren't, although we all have them, right? As I look back over my time working, I've had some really great people I've worked with, and I've had some people that I'm kind of glad I don't work with them anymore. And why, the reason I wanted to talk about this with you is because the way that you represent Christ at work and the way that you love other people at work has a drastic impact on how those people see Christ. So the way that we do that is important. And I want to take you through a story. We've been through this before. We went through this a while back, but I just thought it fit perfectly today. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis um, chapter 40. And we're going to be talking about Joseph Um, Again, today, uh, he gives us some great insight in how to work with people that are not easy to work with. And I I, I have those, and you have those. I remember my very first job that I had, I was a lifeguard, which was not really a job. It kind of was a job, but, you know, we just kind of hung out at the pool all the time, which was a whole lot of fun. But I remember my first boss, he never did anything. Now, I don't want to hear about your boss, that he never does anything, and if, you know... If they're at church with you today, definitely don't say anything, right? But I remember he didn't really ever do anything. He just sat back and he read the paper and he did the crossword puzzle while we all did the work. And I remember thinking early on, it must be pretty good to be the boss because you don't have to do anything. 
And eventually he didn't last and he moved on. I remember another job where I had a boss and I, had, I was working in retail. And it was at a time, um, I was in college, it was at a time when there was a very popular brand of shirts that had really inappropriate messages on them. I mean, super inappropriate messages on them. And the store that we worked in was, for the most part, a family store. And so I was managing this department where all these shirts were in, and I just sent it to my boss, and I said, you know, I, I just don't feel comfortable putting these out. I mean, there's all kinds of kids in here, and, you know, this is just not really the, the image that our store is trying to preserve. And I remember one of the other... Uh, the main store managers came up to me and said, you know, that's exactly what Hitler would do, is for take those shirts off the floor. And I remember thinking, did you just say I'm Hitler? Now, I don't know how kind of bad bosses you have, but when your boss comes up and says that you're Hitler, that is not a good day. And I remember thinking, oh, man, I got mad. I, w- I had a few choice words I wanted to say, although I'm, you know, I'm one of those people that I come up with the best choice words about 10 minutes later. I don't know about you. I come up with about 10 minutes later, which is really a good thing for me. Because if, if I say what I would, if I had it in the moment and not 10 minutes later, I'd probably be getting myself in a lot of trouble, and I wouldn't be honoring Christ, that's for sure. But, you know, I, so I've struggled with things like that. I, I remember... Um, I was in a uh, I was in a ministry context. I, we were doing ministry with a bunch of people, and a couple of guys came in, and uh, we just had a great ministry team. Uh, we just man, we just loved each other. We spent time with each other. We uh, just helped each other. We were building each other up and encouraging each other. We just had a great thing going. And, and maybe you've. It had a team or you're on a team like that now and I remember a couple of guys came in they were young and it, it, it was for them all about them and so they took our great environment of working together and just kind of turned it it turned sour real quick because they were always criticizing always tell you know making fun of people you would do something and rather than encourage they would point out all the ways that what you did wasn't good enough and it just completely turned the environment sour. And probably, probably a lot of you, if not all of you, know what it's like to be in that type of environment in one place or another. Now, it's real easy for us to find outlets to kind of do what we want to do in those moments. And that is tell them exactly how we feel and exactly what we think about them. It's easy to do that. Now, if you work in a stressful job, if you work in a job where you're working crazy hours and you're not getting a whole lot of sleep, it's even worse for you because you don't even have the physical capacity to deal with the stress because you're exhausted. But I just want to tell you that how you handle those situations is very much an indicator of what God is doing within you as his follower. So when we start talking about messy love, I'm not talking about those fun people that you work with. I'm talking about those people that you really wish they would just not come back to work. Because it's in those moments that we get to emulate Christ or we get to let out what we really want to let out on others. 
Now, for you, your context may be different than the places that I've worked. Some of my favorite jobs, I didn't make hardly any money. <laughs> you know, it was the, but the job was fun. And that's kind of the balance as you guys are figuring out what you're going to do when you graduate, because we're getting closer and closer to several of you graduating, is the balance of doing something fun and getting paid, right? Because if you can find the fun thing that pays well, well, you got a good thing going. But a lot of times, the fun things don't necessarily pay well. I had a lot of fun jobs that I love that just I, we, I couldn't survive on. Then I had some jobs that I made some really good money. But I couldn't stand myself in those jobs. And so I had to leave those. I, when I was in seminary, I, I was talking about this the other day with someone. I, I had a job that... Um, I had been working in landscaping on campus, which was one of my favorite jobs, by the way. Put me on a mower and let me mow all day long. That's really one of my, I, I love that. Um, don't ask me to come mow your grass, by the way. That's an abuse of what I just said. But, um, but if you've got a really cool riding mower, especially if it's air-conditioned, give me a call. I'm on my way over. All right? I didn't make any money doing this, but I love the people I worked with. We had so much fun together, and we just laughed together. We were in school together. We had common interests. We had common things going on. We could talk about what's going on in class. It was just a good, good time. But uh, we were starting to get towards the end of our seminary career. We were talking about having kids, and we, like some of you young parents, have a, had a similar conversation. <laughs> we, there's no way we can afford to have a kid. And so I started thinking, I need to get a job that pays better. And so I went to work for this company that sold subscription materials to professionals, but my job was to cold call over the phone. Yes, whoever said, oh gosh, that's exactly right. And so whenever you get that call at home and your eyes roll back in the back of your head and anger begins to well up within you and your adrenaline begins pumping, yes, that was me on the other end of the line. And I did that for several months. It was a part-time thing. I got paid really well, and I got full-time benefits. And they had to pay well because nobody elected to do this type of job. After a while, I just couldn't do it anymore. I hated myself. Every time I clocked in, I just felt like, I hate you. You know, I would say that to myself, I hate you. And so eventually I went back, and I went back to mowing grass, and it was bliss. And I made no money. Anyways, it all worked out. But uh, it is in our situations at work that many times you have the greatest opportunity to share what Christ has done within you. Now, the story I want to look at Joseph is Joseph has some bad work experiences. He's got a bad boss, and he's got some bad coworkers. And I want you to see how Joseph handles this. And then I want us to talk through how do we love difficult people we work with. Now, I recognize that majority of this conversation has to do with work, what you do Monday through Friday, or sometimes for some of you, Monday through Saturday, and others, Monday through Sunday. Sometimes that may have to do with people here at church that you volunteer with. It's not work, and you're not getting a paycheck, but yet you're regularly working towards a goal with people. We all can come from difficult circumstances and difficult places, and what we look at with the story of Joseph is a guy that demonstrates you can maintain a testimony even in difficult situations. And how do we do that? So this may even apply to you, some people that you don't work with, but you understand this in a different context. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 40, beginning with verse 1. Remember the story of Joseph? 
Joseph, coat of many colors, favored by his father. Brothers get mad. They don't like that his father favors them. Brothers decide they're going to kill him. And then they say, no, let's not kill him. We're going to sell him into slavery. They throw him in a pit. They take his coat. They cover it in blood. Take it back and say, a wild animal killed our brother. Joseph is sold off into slavery. But I want us to pick up at, at Genesis 40. And it says, sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. Now, this starts off sometime after this. And so we don't read all of Joseph's story I want us to look back at what he's talking about. What was the this that we're talking about? And what we're going to see if we back up one chapter in Genesis 39 is that Joseph was a great worker who had a bad boss. He was a great worker who had a bad boss. So we jump back to Genesis 39 verse 1. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. This is after he sold into slavery. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought them down here. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Now what ends up happening to Joseph at this point is Potiphar's wife thinks Joseph is a good-looking guy. And so she starts making passes at him, starts flirting with him. Then, hey, why don't you come see me later, Joseph? And Joseph, being wise, says, you know, I'm not going to do that. How can I be entrusted with all of my master's things and not be faithful to him in this? And so he regularly would just say, no, 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 no. And what we find is that he has done a great job for Potiphar, and yet Potiphar's wife gets angry that he's rebuffed her. So then she goes to Potiphar and says, your evil servant, he tried to take advantage of me. And Potiphar not listening to Joseph, and Potiphar not looking at his track record of working within the home, the fact that everything he did worked out well, he was successful in all that he did, sends him to prison. Now, I don't want to know if your boss sent you to prison. That's a story for in private, right? Not for in public. But if you've got a boss that throws you in jail and you didn't do anything, that's a bad boss. Amen? Amen. Now, this is where we find Joseph in Genesis chapter 40. And he's in jail because of that, hadn't done anything wrong, got a bad boss, And these two other government workers have been thrown in jail with him. The cupbearer of the king and the baker. And so they have done something. And if you mess with the king's food, you do not want to do anything that draws attention to yourself that you may be doing something wrong. Because the king is not going to put up with that. The pharaoh in this instance throws them in jail. And this is what happens. Sometime after this, Uh, Let's jump down to verse 4. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. 
So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, Why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, We have had dreams, and there was no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, Do not, be, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches, and as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth. And the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. So that's a good dream. You're going to get everything back that you've lost. Good dream. Only... Remember me, remember this, remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. Not a good dream, right? At least not a good interpretation. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all the servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, left him in jail. Now, the reason I want to tell you this story is because you're going to find that out in this world in which we live, there are a lot of people that do not make your life easy. And the reality is, if we are going to follow Christ and follow some of the more radical teachings in which he gives us, even when people make our life difficult, we are called to love them. Now, we all deal with this in different ways. Sometimes we go run into the boss to tell him about this bad coworker. Sometimes we go to Facebook and we let everybody know how bad our coworkers are. Sometimes we just become, you know, angry with them at work and we give them a cold shoulder, passive aggressive. We want them to know sometimes if they need something, oh, I'm not going to help you out because I don't like you. And all of those things may feel in us very justified in the way that we treat people. And I get it, because in work, what we really want is we really want to just be able to go to work and do our thing, don't we? Most of us, our lives are outside of work, not in work. This is one of the challenges that people deal with today, and that is the desire for their job to be their life. And I'm going to tell you something, if your job becomes your life, that's not much of a life. Our life is outside of that. Our jobs are how we provide for ourselves and our families. Even when we look at the New Testament at the apostles, the apostles all had jobs. 
And yet they, when they did those jobs, the rest of what they did, they worked so that they could live the lives that they wanted to live. And for them, they had been so taken by Jesus that he radically transformed how they would spend all of their time outside of work. It's kind of a new thing, and some of it is because many of us work more than we ever have before. I remember growing up thinking a full-time job was 40 hours a week. That feels like a part-time job now. For some of us, you're working 40, 50, 60 plus hours a week. You don't have a whole lot of time outside of your job, and so work feels like this is my life. And we feel like in those places, we just want everything to work out the way it's supposed to, don't we? I just want to get along with everybody. I want you to leave me alone. I want to get in here and do my job. And I just, you know what, just don't make my life any harder than it already is. And when they don't follow that advice and instead do make your life harder, then we get angry. We get frustrated. We want them to know that we're angry and that we're frustrated. When we look at Joseph's story, Joseph's fellow workers were selfish and ungrateful. Of course, one of them was dead, so we give him a, we give him a pass. But the cupbearer, why did he not think about Joseph? Now, let me ask you this. If you were Joseph, what would you be doing right about now once the cupbearer gets restored and you realize he is not going to do anything for me? Are you going to say good things? Are you going to encourage him? Are you going to pray for him? Are you going to think, you know what? I just want to do something nice for you today. That's probably not what's going through your heads. But when we look at Joseph, Joseph, not only do we not have any record of him becoming angry, Joseph's faith in God was unstirred. And this is a key understanding in living out your faith, knowing Christ is that there are times that people are going to make your life miserable. And in those times, you're going to have the option to get angry and to feel like my life should not be this way, and you're going to have the drive to let them know it in some way or another. And many times you'll even want to go to and blame God for it. God, why have you let this happen? But what we see in Joseph through all of this is a great man of faith, but his faith was unstirred. I don't know what you would do in that case. I, to be honest, I don't know what I would do. But Joseph doesn't seem to get angry. Joseph doesn't seem to get bitter. Joseph doesn't feel the need to get even. You know, it would be interesting if we read later, because after this story, what ends up happening is Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and then he's really elevated. And then that's where we see the rest of Joseph's story, which is really an incredible story of God providing not just for Joseph, but for not his, just his family either, but for all of the Hebrews. It's just an amazing, amazing story. But we don't ever see him rising in the ranks and saying, you know what? Where's that cupbearer at? I want to let him know a thing or two. We don't see that in him. Your natural inclination is to get angry with people who hurt you. That is your natural inclination. There is nothing wrong with you if you feel the seeds of anger and bitterness when somebody hurts you. That is how you naturally feel. 
But when we begin to follow Christ and we begin to say, you know what, I'm not just trying to get saved from hell. I I really am trying to become like Christ. Then it changes our mindset and how we deal with difficult people. Now, we've talked about some difficult people. Sometimes our kids are difficult. Sometimes our spouses are difficult. Sometimes our families are difficult. You know, there's all kinds of difficult people that we're close to, but it's this group here that we work with that God may have put you exactly in this spot for a reason, and the way you respond to their brokenness, because that is what drives them. The way that you respond to their brokenness may either lead them to Christ or lead them away. And ultimately, when it comes to our jobs, if your life is in your job, you misunderstand your calling. Your life is mimicking Christ in everything you do and everywhere you go. It is not just making a paycheck. Now, I feel the need to make a paycheck. I find that it's very helpful when I like to buy stuff, including food and electricity and water. But how do we really love the difficult people we work with? Now, I don't know your situation, and they're all different. And I, probably if we all sat down and, and shared the difficult situations that we're in, you would probably say, yeah, but... My, my situation's different. I mean, I gave a lot, and they have given me nothing. Or, you know, I've really been a good worker, and not only do I do my work, I have to do their work too. I mean, I'm just really angry with them. And I'll tell you that the way that you view your time at work will determine the kind of ministry you have there. And if you see your ministry only as something in the church or in other ministry organizations outside the church, you will miss God's calling for you to change the world around you. So how do we love difficult people that we work with? Number one, the first thing that we have to do is we have to be aware of our own heart. We have to be aware of our own heart. You can jump ahead a couple of slides. I've already skipped that one. Now one more. One more. Yeah, one more. There we go. All right. Number one, be aware of your own heart. When you came to a place of knowing that you needed a Savior, what was going on in your life? What was going on in your life at that time? Was everything great? I mean, everything was just rosy and cheery and thought, you know what, while, while everything's great, I think I'll just get right with Christ. You know, I think I'll do it all right now. You know, in a lot of places, and I'd say in most places, some would say in all places, a person doesn't come to a need to know Christ unless they have been faced with their own internal brokenness somewhere along the way. I mean, if it's not broke, why well, fix it? And often your path of leading up to knowing Christ is filled with all kinds of ways of trying to fix that brokenness in ways that don't actually work. 
We have all kinds of avoidance things that we do to avoid the reality of how broken we really are. We sometimes play the blame game and we blame somebody else for why my life is the way that it is. And we may get angry and lash out or maybe we just try to escape and we'll escape and, and drinking or something else because it takes our mind off of the difficult things in which we live. But a person that comes to Christ generally comes in a moment when they realize I don't have it all together. That's one of the reasons that we are so focused on creating an environment here that you can be broken in. Because some of us came up in a religious system that said you can't be broken in public. Be broken in private. In public, you need to have it together. And some of us came to churches in which they expected us to have everything together. And it's then, you know, we wonder, well, why aren't people really coming to know Christ in places where you've got to have everything together? And it's because they've never had an opportunity to be broken in public and then to allow Christ to heal them. They're hiding it, covering it up, pretending. One of the ways that we look at other people differently that are difficult within our lives, I remember I had a, a co-worker that uh, we were in sales and we were all on commission. So whatever we sold, that was our paycheck. Has anybody been in that situation? It's, it, it's great if you're good at it and if it's a marketable product. When it's not, it's a terrible job to have. But it was pretty, we were doing well. We were all doing well, but we had one coworker, and we would go and we would, this was retail, and we would go and help customers, and then they would kind of want some space, and so we would step back and we would maybe help somebody else, and we had one coworker that never helped anybody. But in that moment that we stepped back to give them them space, they swooped in, and they would consistently take our sale, and then that means that he took our commission. And man, I got mad. I got so upset with him, and my coworkers were upset, and we were like, we got to do something about this. And the truth is, the thing that I never did was look at him and wonder, what's he going through? He was in his mid-50s. This was a new career change for him. All that he had done leading up to this, he was not prepared for the end of his life and he's doing everything he can just to make ends meet i'm a college student i don't need money that much i mean i I need money but i don't need that much i I, i'm fine to live out of a car although i never had to live out of a car but you know you don't have needs but when you're when you're pushing 60 you're starting a new job i didn't even occur to me until later what this guy was going through and in that moment rather than me getting angry yeah he shouldn't have taken that sale. He shouldn't have done that to us. But when I look at my own heart and my own brokenness in which I have come from, then it causes me to look at someone else and wonder, what brokenness are you dealing with? Because we all are motivated by something. And when someone hurts you, it's probably because something has happened to them. Are you in touch with your own brokenness within your life have you been sweeping it under the rug so long that you feel like i got everything together everybody else is the ones with the problem 
Or are you recognizing, even within yourself, there's a part of me that so much needs Christ to continue to work within me. How can I not look at others and see what God is doing in them too? We have to be aware of our own hearts if we're going to love people that are difficult. We have to recognize I'm not the great person that I sometimes think I am. There are some events that I'm certain God orchestrates in your life for you to be at your worst. And I know some of you in here, you're never at your worst, right? I mean, you never are. You always do everything just right. I'm just not one of those people. And I'm convinced that God orchestrates times when we are at our absolute worst, and then it hits us how bad we are. It's in those moments that our compassion for difficult people actually grows. Because we realize they are just like me. And I am just like them. Now, in those moments, we can either respond in, well, you need to do the right thing and you need to be better, or we can respond the way Christ has responded at our brokenness, which is with grace and compassion and mercy and giving and sacrificial giving because a lot of times when we get upset with our coworkers, it's when we feel like they're messing with our livelihoods, our paycheck, our run up the ladder. We feel like they're messing with that, and so we get super defensive. But when we begin to emulate Christ, we begin to look at our coworkers as people that need to know Christ, not as people who are obstacles in our path to success. And when we begin to understand the radical teachings of Jesus, what he's saying is, you know what? If somebody takes your paycheck, guess what? Give them the next one. Now, he doesn't say that, but he uses it in these terms. If someone asks for your coat, then give them your tunic too. And the point is not that Jesus just wants us to be destitute. The point is, is that he wants our hearts to be full of grace for those who are hurting. And those are your coworkers. Those are the people that you work with. One, be aware of your own heart. Is your hope in Christ? Or is your hope in your job? Sometimes it's hard to tell those two things. Be aware of your own heart. A second thing, and we've shared this before, especially when we talked about loving our enemies, is pray for them. How many times do you on a daily basis pray for the people you work with? And I don't mean, God, would a sinkhole open up on their way to work and just swallow them today? That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about, right? We probably all prayed some variation of that prayer at some time in our lives. That's not a good prayer. Don't pray that way. But how many times do you look at the people that you regularly spend time with and pray for them and what they're going through? Now, if you love the people you work with, you probably do it all the time. I mean, you, you're probably thinking about them all the time, and it's just a, a good thing. It's a good relationship. But what about the people that you just wish they would get fired or go find another job somewhere and just leave you alone? Do you pray for those people? Because when you begin to pray for people, your mind begins to peel back through the layers into what's really going on in the lives of these people. And then you begin to see them not as the obstacle or as the frustration, but you begin to see them as people that God 
loves as much as he loves us. It's amazing when we begin to look at people in the way that God looks at us and how more graceful and merciful we become. Pray for them. Number three, be a light in the darkness. We recognize that the world hurts each other because they are subject to the darkness that's in the world, then we should be more motivated to bring light into that darkness. The answer for them may not be, you just need to get a clue. You just need to work harder. The answer may be, you just need somebody to love you. We don't know what's going on in their lives at home. Those difficult co-workers, you probably don't have an idea what's going on in home with them. Be a light in the darkness. Scripture talks about this as being light and salt, that we flavor and that we bring light into places that are dark. And one of the things that I, I think some of us will attempt to do in difficult work situations is rather than look for people to care for, we just try to escape the situation. We just try to avoid them. Try not to spend time with them. We just try to, you know, keep our blinders on. It's going to do my job. And listen, I can do this all day long. Whenever I'm working, and I don't mean I'm working on journey. When I'm working for, on journey stuff, you know, it's primarily with people. So generally, it's not hard to include people in that process. But when I'm, when I'm working on my other job and I'm working on building something or creating something, I get hyper-focused. And I really don't want anybody to bother me. Anybody else like that? I don't bother me. Let me get this done. And when I'm done, I'll give you all the time in the world. That's not really a good way to live. I'm trying to be a reformed person in this regard. But I easily can get focused because I just want to get it done. And part of it's just because I'm not really smart enough to do two things at one time. I thought I was at one time in my life. I realize now I'm not. I really can't do five things at the same time. But We can't approach work that way, especially when we have other people in our offices in which I'm just going to do my thing and I'm just going to ignore you. Christ would never have approached a person in that way. And if we're going to take his teaching seriously, that means we don't just look at them as someone to be avoided. We look at somebody we need to go to. Because Christ always went to that person. It's amazing the number of people that he cared for that no one else wanted to have anything to do with. And so when we begin to be a light in the darkness, we stop avoiding people. We start looking for the ones who need us the most. And those are often our most difficult coworkers. How do we love those people that we work with? I think a lot of times the reason that we become a little self-righteous in the way we deal with people is just in the, the natural way of how we view ourselves versus others. We view ourselves as, well, I am this way because of all the things that have happened to me. All these experiences, negative experiences I've had, that's why I am the way I am. But we tend to look at other people that they are the way they are completely by their choice. They have chosen to be this way. Me, I've not chosen to be this way. It's just, you know, if you knew what I'd been through, you would understand and would give me a little more grace. But those people, those people know exactly what they're doing. (laughs) 
And that's many times why we do choose to avoid and criticize and lash out and hurt them in the way that they've hurt us. What if we took the teachings of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 and we applied it to these people? This is what it would look like to love people at work. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude, which, by the way, does not mean that we are just not angry when others are not boasting. But even when others are boasting and they're proud and they're not kind, then we are still, this is what it looks like to love. Love is patient even when they're not patient. Love is kind even when they're hurtful. Love doesn't envy or boast even when they do. Love isn't arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, if I live that way at work, I can't keep my job. I got to push. I got to keep going. I've got to be aggressive. It's competitive. I've got to be something else. I can't be this way. And what if your job is forcing you to be in a way that Jesus has been trying to show you that is not the way to live your life? You know, there are some jobs that you can get ahead by completely ignoring the principles of Christ. But those are not good jobs to have. At some point along the way, if we begin to recognize, you know what? My life is about Christ. This is the difference between someone who knows Christ and someone who says they know Christ. It is that their identity is not in part with Christ. It is that their identity is now their faith in Christ. That is their identity. Now, men, we in the room, we try to get our identity in the things that we do. I want someone to tell me I did a good job. I want, if there's a board of top performers, I want to be the top performer. And I want everybody to know it. Okay, I was number two this week, but that's just because the guy that was number one cheated. I really should have been number one, right? We want to be recognized. Ladies, sometimes we, I say we, I'm not a lady, but sometimes you, I'm trying to be inclusive, but sometimes you, or trying to take your identity in something else. Maybe it's in how nice you are, even when inside you are a raging lunatic ready to rip somebody's face off. Right? You know it happens. You know it happens. Just be real, but not that real. Don't be that real, because then you'll go to jail. But be real about what's really going on in you. Sometimes your identity is, how good of a parent am I? How good of a mom am I? And let's be honest, we all know the perfect mom and we're not it, right? They're telling us all the time on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, they're showing us they're perfect. Their cookies look better than ours, right? They just handle discipline better than we do. Their kids just soar to heights and our kids, we're just like, quit picking your nose. And, I, and you know, they're going to Harvard, you know? It's just like, whoa, what is the deal? But when we know Christ, He becomes our identity. Some of these things have to go away. 
in a job in which you have to be so competitive that you have to cut corners and you have to cheat and you have to knock people's legs out from under them, that may get you the applause of the management team. But what's it costing your soul? So when we know Christ, it changes the way we view things. It feels that everything in life should be about us getting ahead and making more money and living more comfortable lives and preparing more for retirement and living good fun, doing good fun stuff. But what if those very drives are keeping us from experiencing the fullness of Christ in our life? That's not what Jesus called us to. He called us to be light in the darkness. Fourth, just over and over again. And this is this just, depending on your role, this can feel impossible at times, but give grace. Now, if you're a supervisor and you have people that report to you and part of your job is holding them accountable, I'm not suggesting that you just give everybody a pass because then you won't keep your job. But, but you can do your job with grace. You can demonstrate love and care for other people. What does it really look like for you to love other people the way that Christ loved you? Because that's what it comes down to. So here's here's what I would leave you with. When you see people as God sees people, you can love people as God loves people. Recognizing that the people you work with, and maybe let's just step outside of who you work with. Maybe it's your neighbor, and they're just a real jerk. Maybe it's a family member, and they're just a real jerk. And you're thinking, I just can't stand them. What does it look like to be salt and light wherever you are, and in those situations say, I am going to make a positive difference here? What if when we stand before heaven, Jesus doesn't say, hey, so let me see your job performance reports. And instead, he wants to know, what kind of impact did you have on the people you worked with? How many of those people are hurting and broken right now, and they're lashing out, and they're hurting you because someone else has hurt them, and they just need somebody to break the cycle and show them love? There are lots of ways that you can apply what I'm talking about today. I don't know what your current context is. If you've got that coworker that has a tendency not to do their work, I have found that it's better to maintain your integrity and your own work ethic, even if you have to pick up their slack, than to say, you know what, I'm going to make sure everybody knows that they're not doing their job. You know, a boss who, who's any good at their job knows. This is one of the things when our kids are in group projects at school, I mean, this is what sometimes you guys deal with. There's always the people in the group project that don't pull their weight, right? And they are frustrating as all get out to be in your group. And you want the teacher to know, I did my part and they did not. (laughs) So when this really stinks, it's their fault, not mine. A good boss sees that. Part of our testimony, Scripture calls us to work hard, to be diligent workers in fact goes so far as to say the person who can work and chooses not to work hard is worse than an infidel 
we are called to have a strong work ethic. Your testimony and the way that you handle yourself at work, it very much demonstrates your faith or lack of it to others. I just want to say to you, if you ever find yourself in a conflict where acting in the way that Christ would act and acting in the way that you can get ahead at work, when they are opposed to each other, always choose the way of Christ. Because at the end of the day, this is all going to be gone. Our jobs are going to be gone. These people that are frustrating, they may or may not be with us in eternity. But how we handle ourselves now, that matters. That's what's eternal. Not whether we get the promotion. Not whether we get taken advantage of or not taken advantage of. How are we emulating Christ in the places in which we work? John 17, 26 says, I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and in them. As we look at those that we work with, even when they're frustrating and even when we're difficult, may our goal be that they will see the love of Christ and they will be filled with it as well. Next week, we're going to close out Messy Love, and we're going to, be, we're going to talk about spouses. Because I know some of you have awesome spouses, and I know none of you have perfect spouses, right? Except for Deidre. Deidre's one of the lucky ones, right? She may disagree with me, but she would be wrong. But um, we're going to talk about what happens when things get messy in a marriage. So we've talked about dating. What happens when now you're contractually obligated to love each other, right? That's not what marriage is. But that's how it sometimes feels, right? What happens in those cases? How do we love our spouse? And then we're going to spend our summer, uh, which I'm really excited about, we're going to spend our summer going through all of the parables of Jesus. And so each week we'll do a different parable. And one of the things that you'll find about the parable is if you take it at face value, you miss the point. You always have to look deeper. So we're going to spend some time looking deeper at the parables, and I think it's going to be a great summer together. We have, lots of people are going to be teaching during this series, and it's going to be a good time. I know you've got vacations and stuff coming up, coming up and uh, I hope you all have a great time with your family and friends and all the things you're going to do. But join us this summer. Be with your church family as we spend time together. We're also going to be heading back to the dam Um, and we're going to be having a baptismal service at the dam. Uh, We haven't done that in quite a while, and so we're looking for that to happen in June. I'm not sure exactly the date. We have some that I know are wanting to be baptized. If you are interested and have not yet been baptized, um, but you are ready to take that step, then I'd love to talk with you. There's a baptism card out in the um, on the welcome area. If you want to grab that, you can go online. You can You can register to be baptized online and then we'll get back in touch with you and talk to you about it and what it means and and how you can be involved. So it's going to be a great time. We'll be cooking out at the dam too. They've got a new playground out there. It's going to be a lot of fun. So um, do join us throughout the summer as much as you can. All right? Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we have the example of Joseph. Thank you for all the others that we have throughout the Old and the New Testament of those that continued to share your love 
and what is important to you, even when it's difficult. I pray for those in this room, if they're in a a job situation, that they just feel like, you know, it is so bad that they just hate going to work every single day. I pray that you would give them a change of focus today to begin to look at work as not at the place that they have to endure, but as the place that they can be light in the darkness. I pray that you would give them confidence and courage. I pray that you would give them comfort in their times of pain. For the very fact that you have called us to pray for the comforter to come means that you know we're going to hurt and have difficulty in this life. And so, Father, I pray that you would comfort them in those times that they want to lash out or they want to withdraw or they want to just quit and help them to be light for those around them. I pray that you would help us to be people of grace, even with people that are not graceful with us, so that we can emulate what you did even when those hurled insults and cried out for you to be crucified yet you still loved them fully, even unto death. Father, I thank you for the opportunity for us to learn and to grow, that we don't have to be perfect, but we can grow in our understanding of you, what it looks like to love like you. And Father, I pray that as we do that, you will help us to gain confidence in knowing I am getting better at this. Let us mimic you well, because you are our God, you are our Lord, you are our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.